On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're breaking out the skateboards and pulling off some righteous grinds with HBO's Betty, heading to Wiltshire and being incredibly careful what we touch in BBC One's The Salisbury Poisonings, exploring sexual consent with Michaela Cole in I May Destroy You, and we're with her in Sky Documentaries, Hillary. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show being put together on a private email server. Don't at us. Joining me this week as we address those listeners still with us in the aftermath of last week's Mammoth Swearathon is Pilot TV's very own nasty woman. It's Terry White. How are you, Terry? <laughs> Hi, James. Probably the <laughs> nicest thing you've ever said to me. Thanks. I'm trying very hard this week. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Pilot TV's very own TV celebrity, a BAFTA member who I'm surprised didn't stage a coup when years and years didn't get a mention in this week's nominations. It's Boyd Hilton. Did you not set the building on fire, boy? Do you not have any sway? What happened? Uh, it's tempting. Now Now you've got me confused as to why Years and Years wasn't nominated, or whether, whether it was, was eligibility. It eligible? Yeah, was it eligible? I'm going to have to check that. Should have been, Charlie. It's within the window. I'm not sure. Maybe it Is wasn't. It definitely. I, I, I don't know. I have, now, now you've got me spinning off into all oh, kinds it. of That's it. He's on a crusade. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. But if it hasn't been nominated, then FFS. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what have we been watching this week? And have you, Boyd, have either of you, in fact, have either of you watched the final season of 13 Reasons Why? Do you know what? I've started, yes. I mean, um, uh, so I, I was up at eight this morning and, I, and, I, and I've watched the first two episodes, yeah. Verdict? Uh, pretty good so far, yeah. It's, it's, um, the, the main emphasis is on mental health of Clay, who is the main character mm. all the way through the series. He was the one who was the best friend of the girl who took her own life in the first series. And it's, and, they're, and they're doing it in a quite interesting way. He's almost like having hallucinatory visions um, and kind of thinking about self-harming. So it's dealing with him and his mental health issues and, and those of, you know, teenage young men really so it's like that seems to the emphasis but at the same time that makes it sound very you know the great at its best 13 reasons why is kind of is melodramatic and in quotes kind of you know and is entertaining and at the same time is is absolutely dealing with issues affecting Mm. people but i think that balance it it, it walks that balance quite well so yeah i'm I'm, so far i'm enjoying it yeah exciting anything else i mean i say anything else what what millions of things have you also been watching this week okay i'll I'll try and limit it to a, a, a couple but um I've got back into How to Get Away with Murder, which has just started its final season on Sky Witness mm. um, the other night. And um, this is Shonda Rhimes' show uh, with Viola Davis. And it's always been a, I've, it's always been a really fun show. It's right from the beginning, just, you know, the kind of mixture of it, it does a kind of why done it murder story matched to Viola Davis being this really harsh, witty, funny, um, charismatic law professor with her students. And um, I have to say, in, in the, the, it was the first episode of the of the series the other night, and she is so brilliant in it. She's, I mean, obviously she's a brilliant actor, but she's got addiction issues. She's got, she's kind of an alcoholic, and the way she it's dealing with that is is really interesting. On top of the very entertaining kind of thriller element of it, so I, I really like that show. I think it's Shonda Rhimes is just brilliant at creating mm. pop culture TV that is riveting, but all at the same time really, really well done and kind of authentic and and real. It's it's a it's it, she. She, she does a really good job. And the other thing is, I don't know whether this should be in other stuff that's on this week later that we haven't had time to do, or basically that I didn't tell you about this, but we didn't need another show, right? We didn't, on top of everything, who needs another show this week? But Staged is this new BBC One lockdown um, comedy. So it's, this is 
and we, there's loads and loads of shows and kind of um, YouTube things and special sketches that people have done in lockdown using Zoom and all of that. This is actually created to be about this whole experience of using Zoom in the time of lockdown. And it's David Tennant and Michael Sheen playing themselves a la The Trip. And it has got a lot of very much the tone of The Trip in 15-minute episodes. It starts on next Wednesday, this Wednesday coming on BBC One, 10.45, after the news. And it is really funny and entertaining just to see these two bouncing off each other in Zoom chat. And hmm. their, their families join in, their real-life partners and wives are in it. So David Tennant's wife, Georgia's in it, and she's a producer and actor as well. And it's quite interesting, I think think how how this period the lockdown period is actually almost like actors who you'd think traditionally wouldn't want people to invade their private lives you know are literally invading their own private lives using their families and i think it's i think it's great and their own homes to create stuff and um this show is an example of that stage it's one it's one of the best things i've seen that's all about the lockdown uh, rules that we're in. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that. Very good. Terry, what have you been watching? Uh, so, a couple of things. It was the finale of Killing Eve, um, which a few people have asked us about on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, I've talked about this pretty much every week and kind of how hit and miss it's been. It kind of got better um, about episode two and three. And then I felt like it went off the rails again a little bit. And it has done some kind of new things in terms of format of episodes and structures, which I don't think has always worked. The finale was actually kind of much more traditional Killing Eve. And they, you know, it's not a spoiler to say that finally we got more Eve and Villanelle. This series is focused very much on Villanelle. I think much to its detriment because Sandra O's incredible and that character is really interesting. She started off in quite an interesting place at the opener. Uh, obviously, I won't give any spoilers, but it is worth watching. If you've kind of dipped in and out of this season, it's worth, I think, seeing it through to the end. The finale is, I did massively enjoy it. So season four, um, they've already announced that Laura Neal um, will be taking over as um, head writer and showrunner, which is obviously they've been changing up each time. First episode was, um, first episode, first season was Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Second was Emerald uh, Fennell. This one was Suzanne Heathcote and next season it's going to be Laura Neal um, who was a writer on Turn Up Charlie, Sex Education, My Mad Fat Diary back in 2014 and Secret Diary of a Call Girl which everyone will remember is the Billy Piper um, ITV show I think it was back in 2011. So be interested to see where that one goes. Now I fell into something this week um, that I'm still trying to get my head around called a very British hotel chain. Boy, yes. have you watched this? Yes, right. So Channel, channel Four. 4. Yeah, I've seen this kind of like it's it's kind of been on my radar, and I've just presumed it's like some fairly run of the mill, tedious fly on the wall thing. Um, but it turns out it's all inside. Well, it kind of is those things, but kind of in a much more crazy way. So it's inside Best Western, essentially. Did you know that Best Western is basically just like. Loads of hotels they take over and put their badge on. I didn't realize that. So that's why they're all really different and weird. Yeah. Um, but I cannot believe this isn't a joke. It's it's like a parody. It's just like it's like a parody of The Office. And The Office itself is like is a parody. It's bonkers. The characters in it are absolutely like irritating and um there's like a sales guy and a saleswoman she's really successful and and quite hard-edged and he kind of you can tell is a bit more of a loser and and he's trying to do all these david brent things on camera the ceos are a real idiot 
it's obviously all before lockdown and before COVID because um, they've all kind of either shuttered or are being used, um, a lot of them to make PPE. But it doesn't help that the voiceover is done by Diane Morgan, you know, who's obviously in Afterlife, who's an incredible comedian. And so you've got this really super dry, dead, funny narration over the top of these like really kind of just fist-chewingly cringeworthy characters. If you haven't seen it... Um, and you think it's just going to be a bit naff, I would recommend it. And I I just accidentally watched one um, when we were scrolling through 4OD and then I ended up watching every single one they've got on there. I can heartily recommend it. James, you would hate it because your uh-huh. cringe factor would <laughs> be off the scale. Uh, yeah, I, I missed that one. Sorry, Terry, that must have must have slid past me during the week. There was a, um, there was a really good Channel 5 documentary um series it was only it wasn't that many episodes about premiere in as well not so long ago oh. um, so if you like if you like in docu soap insights into the running of budget hotels it's like a mini genre and you're right um diane morgan's narration is is incredible because i have watched it as well i'm a, I'm a huge fan of documentary uh, docu soaps about hotels generally it's a whole it's a whole subgenre. Oh. Um, Richard E. Grant, I mentioned Richard E. Grant's series that's always on Sky Atlantic, I think, or Sky Arts, where he goes to like legendary hotels. He'll go to, you know, um, he'll go to Claridge's, etc. That's a brilliant series. So, hotel based factual oh, yeah. TV. I've seen yeah. that one. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's great. It's fucking what, brilliant. What does he do? He interviews all the people who work there, the managers. He interviews famous residents. There's one where he interviews Donald Trump. Um, pre pre presidency, um, they go to the Chelsea Hotel and meets all the you know the famous people who hang out hang out there and became like lived there. It's a brilliant brilliant series, honestly. So yeah, fully in favour of hotel based TV. Wow. Uh, I have watched no hotel-based TV this week. Uh, I watched, finally watched the rest of Feel Good, which has been on my to-watch oh. list for a very long time, which I enjoyed an awful lot. Uh, both May Martin and Charlotte Ritchie were excellent. And uh, yeah, it really made, made me laugh. I thought it was, it was it was touching. It was funny. It was a, it was a lovely, lovely series. Oh, so good. I've seen it twice now and I'm just, oh, what am I? Yeah. That's in my top five of the year. Uh, I've also finally got back to The Americans. Now, yeah. The Americans is one of those shows where everyone goes on about how one of the best shows ever and apparently has one of the best finales ever uh, and i'd seen the first season of this but for one reason or another i i kind of i guess forgot about it and i never picked it up again for season two so and i've been it's again i've been meaning to do it forever so i finally sat down this week and i am now starting season two of the americans and it is as good as i remember it was some, some great performances in that uh and it's really tense as well so yeah looking looking forward to actually continuing that and, and hopefully getting through it to the end it was either that or start a rewatch of the West Wing or Game of Thrones again and it could have gone either way it could have gone either way but I opted for new stuff which I thought you'd be very pleased wow. with there that's, go. that's very encouraging <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> I, don't, I thought I don't think either of you really need me explaining my way through another rewatch of Game of Thrones at this juncture um, but You're I'm not right. ruling it out I'm okay. not ruling it out it is going to happen it oh. absolutely is going to happen okay Right. Well, that is what we've been watching. So let's move on to this week's listener question. And this week's is going to take a slightly different form. This comes from Morgan Tovey Frost, who, in light of the current global reaction to the death of George Floyd, asked if we could do something on documentaries and dramas that we'd recommend to educate people on civil rights and the treatment of black people in the US and 
beyond. Now, clearly, three none more white people splaining on the black experience is not ideal, but there are a great many writers, filmmakers, and creative people of color who have addressed this issue far more authentically and powerfully than we could. So uh, let's start with some of those. I'm going to start actually with... um Three three things on Netflix. I think Netflix has an incredible um, variety of, of both kind of documentaries about um, the black experience, about being black in America, about black history, um, as well as um, dramas. And I'm going to focus on, on factual stuff. Um, so 13th, which is obviously Ava DuVernay's incredible documentary, which is examining the inequality in the US prison system, mm. um, won an Emmy, I think. Um, and also by Ava DuVernay, When They See Us, which obviously we reviewed um, uh, when it came out, the Central Park Five documentary, incredibly, um, docu-series, sorry, incredibly powerful. And then there's also something which I got recommended this week called The Racial Wealth Gap, um, which is, again, a a factual piece of filmmaking on Netflix that basically there's these short, punchy episodes um, made by Vox, um, the news site. This one's 16 minutes, and it looks at how slavery housing discrimination and centuries and centuries of systemic inequality has caused a a racial wealth gap. It's incredibly informative and kind of lends a lot of context um, to kind of the current day racial discrimination and and remaining systemic discrimination that we see. I'm just going to mention, I I, I thought I limited my my recommendations to one one programme really, which I think is an incredible, I I watched it again last night, this uh, documentary called NYPD Biggest Gang in New York, which is a BBC Three documentary that went out a couple of years ago. And I watched it um, at the time and I thought it was one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen. Um, and uh, it's back on iPlayer. I think it's also on YouTube. I think you can just watch the whole thing on YouTube. Um, and it tells the story. So Eric Garner, um, who, who was killed by um, New York police um, in a chokehold and said, I can't breathe in a, in a very, very, in, in a chillingly similar way to what happened uh, last week that's changing the world as we speak now. And um, the guy who filmed that incident in a similar way, so this was videoed, um, it was shown, it, it led to riots in New York in a similar way, but not in the, quite led to the level of this explosion that's happening right now. This all happened um, a few years ago, 2014, and nothing. And the cops who um, killed him were not charged, unlike now. And but, so th- they were not charged. And the guy who filmed the incident is the subject, is the main subject of this documentary. And he, his life was made a misery by the NYPD, who literally targeted him because he and they knew he had filmed this incident. And um, he also joined a group who film police in New York called Cop Watch. And this is a group of activists who literally 24-7, as much as they can, spend pretty much their entire time filming the police um, and filming incidents of of brutality, obviously almost entirely against um, black and minority people in New York, mostly black Americans. And it's an incredible documentary where uh, I thought 
incredible kudos to the guy who wrote, directed it and, and wrote it because he's fearless and carries on filming a lot of incidents, incidents himself, including like the arrest of one of the main people in organising Copwatch for literally no reason whatsoever. Because it's totally legal, by the way, to film police. So they have no, there's not, there's no law against it. They're supposed to allow it. Um, and yet they arrest people gratuitously for just being part of this group because they know they, they land in trouble because they know they're being filmed engaging in acts of clearly racist horrendous brutality if you could so I, with the warning that it is really distressing viewing because it is it pertains so closely to what's happening now um but i feel it's so it's such an incredibly powerful insightful thing about not only about the, the extent of police in, by the way in new york city which is obviously run by Democrat politicians mostly nowadays, you know, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, is a Democrat. And he, I mean, he has tried to deal with the police. But let's just say, and if you look at the videos, the, the footage that's happening now on CNN, etc., the New York police are still incredibly brutal and, and, and behave in an unbelievable way. So it's still going on now. And this documentary is an insight into how this has been going on for years and years and years and is still, and, it, and it's just a profoundly depressing but important thing to watch. So that it's called NYPD, Biggest Gang in New York. And the title, which is slightly, it's a slightly, odd, it feels like a slightly odd title because it doesn't feel like it's a, it, how does that pertain to what's going The Why they, the biggest gang in New York, because they're saying, you know, it's like the NYPD behave like they are a gangster gang, like some kind of mafia mob, the way they target people who they're doing stuff that they that is affecting them and is trying to expose that what their own wrongdoing. So it's an incredibly powerful thing. Yeah, I can second that. I I saw that. Um, and we should say the the friend of um, Eric Garner's is Ramsey Orta. Yeah. Um, and he's he's an incredible young man. He's kind of campaigned and been very active about about obviously the death of his friend, but also kind of wider brutality. And I think he's actually in in prison at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, and he's you know he's had a really really dreadful. Um, few years and this documentary is really unflinching in just kind of it showing is, yeah. the reality of what it is to be a black man especially in um in new york city yeah i'd like to add a couple to this so uh if anyone's seen time the khalif browder story yeah. this is a jay-z produced documentary about uh khalif browder who was a 16 year old from the bronx who was accused of stealing a backpack did three years in prison two in solitary confinement before he committed suicide uh and that's a documentary that really looks at the injustices within the u.s judicial system there are a lot of good things on on streaming i am not your negro Ralph peck's uh film is on amazon prime you can see that la 92 is on netflix mm. uh we should look at the rodney King murder. Um, Teach Us All, which is a 2017 one, is also on Netflix. Uh, and this is a look at the American school system and how it remains sort of largely segregated. Also, you know, if you broaden out into films, The Hate You Give is well worth seeing. That's on Amazon Prime, I believe, as well. Uh, if anyone's seen Boots Riley's I'm Sorry to Bother You, I don't know whether that's streaming in the UK. It's on Hulu in the US, but that is really excellent, which has Lakeith Sanfield in it as a, it's a very sur surreal, actually, very peculiar film. Uh, but it's also really interesting. It's very satirical it looks at how he uh, advances in his career as a telemarketer by taking on a you know a quote-unquote white person voice uh, and deals with race in that particular way elsewhere the two killings of sam cook is available on netflix remastered uh which is talking about sam cook's murder and how uh him being outspoken about civil rights contributed to that as well there are so many others you go into films if bill street could talk uh do the right thing we've got a whole list of these films on the empire website if you go to empireonline.com uh not only do we have a list of of films dealing with issue by black filmmakers black showrunners uh, there's also a list of places you can donate whether it be to black lives matter color of change uh community justice exchange 
Exchange. Uh, there are links there and a, a number of petitions as well. Uh, justice for George Floyd, justice for David McAtee, justice for Breonna Taylor uh, and a number of others as well and some resources there. So if you want to take a look at that, that is available at mponline.com. There is a link on the homepage. And I think we probably would acknowledge that, you know, that those are all really US kind of focus, but we, I think, would acknowledge that this is, you know, systemic discrimination um, is a problem in, well, globally, but also in the UK. We'll get onto it later because we're going to be talking about a, a BBC film um, which deals with Windrush. But I think um, uh, those are a great starting point. But I think it is important to acknowledge that this isn't just an American problem. Indeed. Right, now on to this week's news. And the big TV news of this week, I think it is fair to say, is the BAFTA TV nominations. And love them or loathe them, I think we can all hold Boyd Hilton personally responsible. <laughs> well, as How Chernobyl got 14, I'm presuming that's just Boyd <laughs> voting yeah. over and over yeah. again. Chernobyl. Yeah. Chernobyl. Yeah. Please notice, yeah. Chernobyl got 14, The Crown got 7, Fleabag got 6, and Giri Hadji, which neither of you liked, also got 6. Although, to be fair to Boyd, he <gasps> did roll it back, he revised that, but when we reviewed it, you were both a bit mad about Giri Hadji, we, and I told we you it was great. I, you totally I, were. I, quite, I quite liked it, but I didn't I didn't not like it. I've done, I did a total rollback. I, I was, I was yeah. nowhere yeah. near enth- as enthusiastic as I should have been, and I've watched the whole thing twice, and oh, it is okay. fucking brilliant. Yeah. So I think I think that is one of the most exciting things about the BAFTAs is the Giri Haji um, triumph because it could, mm. it's one of those shows that you know probably on the cusp of uh, it could have been ignored you know it could have been but people yeah I think quite rightly I mean technically it was brilliant and I thought it was it was such a kind of bold um, uh, affair yes I thought I'm really pleased that it got that many awards but you're right about years and years that is a total snub for years and years that yeah, should have been very much so that's interesting because yeah. very few people watched it didn't they like it seemed to, it didn't get right? great not Apparently very so. few I, I th- it didn't get huge ratings for a BBC mm. one you're right but I think loads of people watched it on catch up on an iPlayer and certainly I, I think when you see look at everything that's happening now in the world was predicted by that show you know um, it feels it does feel a real shame that it wasn't nominated yeah. but you know I have having been on BAFTA juries um, it, these things happen you know it's just it's 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 12 13 people whatever you know and it comes down to personal taste it comes down to your interpretation of of shows so it's it when these snubs in inverted commas happen, they happen because it's all down to individual juries, basically. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Oh, and also, it seemed to come out ages ago. And, and I mean, we always yeah. have this with like the Empire Awards or something. And even like with the Oscars and you think the things that have kind of been in the last six months are really at the forefront of your mind. And I think when they've been a bit further back, I mean, because I was surprised it was even part of the... Um, uh, period mm. that this BAFTAs was covering. I thought it was the one before. I was pleased to see the Virtues get five mm. yes. nominations. H- Helen Behan for supporting Stephen Graham, uh, Shane Meadows, the director. Yeah, yeah. Naomi Aki got nominated for The End of Fucking World, which was great. Uh, Takihiro Hira for Giri Haji and the Nakuti Gatwa, who I fucking love in Sex Education. That's mm. incredibly well deserved. Uh, and Guz Khan from Man Like Mobin. You're a big Man Like Mobin fan, aren't you, Boyd? Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, that m- much deserved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we should say Fleabag has got six nominations, but not not for Andrew Scott. Unbelievably. No, I noticed that. Yeah, I was surprised by six because I think you know when you remember just the impact that second season had mm. and the uni- pretty much universal acclaim and love. It, it set such a high standard. I think we all felt. Um, 
So yeah. six, you know, it is, it's, it's up there, but I was surprised it wasn't more. I think it's harder for a comedy to get like loads and loads of nominations, like for all the technical categories. But mm. I mean, the, the director's been nominated quite rightly and the, and the editing, um, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge and, and Sean as, as well. I think that's brilliant. Yes, that both of them. So was I. Yeah. yeah she's that, really good in that. She's so good in it, Sean Clifford, that for the two of them to be nominated in that category mm. is fantastic. Two, uh, half, half the nominations basically, um, quite rightly. And I was, and all the nominations in that category are great. Um, Bem is so like a mellow for Famalan, which is brilliant. She's brilliant in that. If, if people haven't seen that, that's a kind of BBC three sketch show. And Sarah Kendall for Frey. Did we review Frey? I can't remember. If we, I'm not sure if we did, but it, it's really good. She's an Australian comedian. She created this uh, brilliant period comedy um, on Sky and she's fantastic. So I, I was very pleased by that. I have to say, but I do not envy you having to vote on these. Like just looking at the acting categories, like how that, I mean, so Jodie Comer for Killing yeah. Eve, Glenda Jackson for Elizabeth is Missing, Saran Jones for Gentleman Jack, and Samantha Morton for I Am Kirsty. I mean, I couldn't pick. I mean, acting as well. Stephen Graham for The Virtues, Jared Harris, Chernobyl, Takahiro Hira for Giri Haji, and Callum Turner for The Capture. All four of those incredible performances. Like, you know, yeah. good luck with that. <laughs> Absolutely. I thought that was great for I Am Kirsty. I think it was lovely yeah. to yeah. see that recognised because something something like that can so easily go under the radar and, and you know, was, was so interestingly done so powerfully done um really innovative and and obviously her performance Samantha Morton is one of our country's finest mm. yes indeed. and in fact I'm just looking at the nominees for miniseries because you're talking about the virtues and and uh, when you see the nominations it's that's why years and years has has just not made it because they're so strong mm. a confession that an ITV thing which was really powerful I think we, we, we probably yeah. slightly you know I think we still when we reviewed that the first episode we weren't fully on board but as it went on that became no, I more didn't and love more. it yeah, it, became, oh, it, it got better and better. That. Yeah, it became brilliant, didn't it? Um, yeah. So we've got that. We've got Chernobyl, obviously. The Victim, which we all loved. That was brilliant, remember, on, on oh, BBC that One. That was incredible. It was fantastic. And The Virtue. So it's like, that's such, yeah. a, it's such a closely fought, and you're only allowed four nominees, you know. I'd have put years and years over, over a confession. Oh, I would have. I've only seen the first one, to be fair. So maybe, you know. Like yeah. I've, I've judged it harshly. I've done a Giri Haji on it. You've done a Giri Haji. The international uh, nominees are really good as well. Euphoria, Succession, obviously, and Unbelievable um, on Netflix and When They See Us on Netflix. Can't help saying that The Expanse was snubbed yet again. <laughs> How did they snub The Expanse? I mean, <laughs> what the fuck were they thinking? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's loads of brilliant stuff, yeah. Scripted comedy, Catastrophe, Derry Girls, Fleabag, and Staff Let's Flats. Now, that, for me, is a proper one of these things. It's not like the other's category. It's like, Catastrophe, Derry Girls, and Fleabag, genius. Staff Let's Flats, what the fuck? Staff Let's Flats is brilliant. How dare I see, you? You remember this is one where I reviewed, I watched Staff Let's Flats because you told me, uh, and then we didn't end up reviewing it, so I'm the only one who saw it. And so I felt like I was in my own surreal world where I'm like, this, if, like, if they're is an anti-humor for me like that show is it like i did not smile i did not laugh i couldn't i just couldn't get on with it. it's just not my sense of humor but i, I yeah no you're so wrong i would never let a flat from staff because <laughs> he's hilarious yeah he's a comedy character james <laughs> he's brilliant no i love that show damien dimitri you're quite right i'm really pleased for him they got that he got nominated um sex education got four by the way which is really good did you say that mm. yeah which is great as did top boy yeah 
Celebrity Gogglebox has got its uh, got a little nod in reality yes. and constructed factual. Boyd, please explain to you what is constructed factual. Is this a this is a category I've never heard it's of? It's constructed factual is effectively a fa- any factual show that has a format. So you know, it's not just it's not just observing stuff that's going on in the world, like in a documentary style. It's 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 a format that someone's created and then cast pe- real people to be in it. And then, right. you know, so, yeah. Because, like, you've got constructed factual, and then there's a separate category called specialist factual. Like, I am properly in the weeds here. Like, it's very confusing. I mean, the BAFTA TV was a very famous for their cat- – the categories are can be controversial, it has to be said. also – so there's factual series, constructed yeah, factual, series. factual, and yeah. specialist factual. <laughs> yeah. we, are, we are really in a post-fact era here where we have subgenres we of are. facts. And there's also features, which is separate as well. Which is, <laughs> factual they, and features. They are all, they're all factual. So, like – Oh, Mortimer and White House Gone Fishing is in features rather than, and I don't, I don't, yeah, I mean, it is, inc- whoever sorts out what, what to put where, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a mind-bending, it's a mind-bending thing, yeah, it's incredible. Did we go through the acting, all the acting categories, because they're quite interesting? Well, we did leading, we did the two the leading ones, I didn't go through supporting, but I will do now, so Naomi Aki for End of the Fucking World, Helen Bean for The Virtues, Helena Bonham Carter for The Crown, uh, and Jasmine Jobson for Top Boy. Interesting that um, Olivia Coleman didn't get a crown nod for this. Yeah. Um, Supporting at uh, Joe Absalom for a confession, Josh O'Connor, The Crown, Will Sharp, Giri Hadji, and Stellan Skarsgård for Chernobyl. Yeah, very pleased for Josh O'Connor, who was phenomenal as Prince Charles. He was the best thing, I think, in that series, series of The Crown. Mm. Um, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And I'm really pleased with Joe Absalom, who's like, you know, like an act, he goes back to EastEnders like probably 20 years ago um, and was really good in a confession. And Will Sharp was fucking great in Giri Hadji. So, yeah. And Stan Skarsgård will probably win. So yeah, that's a really good, that's a really strong lineup. Yes. I'm going to mention one more category because it's the only category voted for by the public. And I was on this panel to narrow down. Yeah. So it's the Virgin Media must-see moment. These are the greatest moments on in TV. Um, it calls the confessional scene in Fleabag, uh, Arya killing the Night King in Game of Thrones, Nessa proposing to Smithy and Gavin Stacey, uh, John Corbett's death in Love Island in Line of Duty, and I've ruined it. I've <laughs> ruined Love it. And, <laughs> and James's favourite moment of the year: Michael recoupling after Casa Amor in Love Island. <sighs> Jesus wept. See, I I have a long-standing slight hatred of these commercially sponsored like viewer voted categories in in BAFTA stuff whether it be film Don't or TV. That. I'm just a bit like, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, they don't the sit well snobbery, with me. the snob. Just to say, this is the only award, the only nomination that Line of Duty got. So I think actually, it's a, it's, it does a really good job because you know to to not reflect how brilliant Line of Duty is. Like, it, it's except very, for Line this of Duty's absence is something that that, that yeah. does because it's been nominated in the past, hasn't it? But oh yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean, not enough, not nowhere near no, enough. No, why is that? Do you think? Yeah. I think it's it comes down. You know, it can come down to moments of slight snobbery. In I think mm. I think you know. In the jury situation, it's it's such a popular show that can sometimes work against things, you know. I and mean, this is—I mm. have no idea. I wasn't in the jury, but it—I it, 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 mean, it's definitely Jeb Mercurio has very strong feelings about award <laughs> ceremonies. I can tell you that, and he thinks, you know, because I think he's actually more in favour of an NTA type thing, which are all voted for by members mm. of the public than he is the jury system. I think he he has big issues with it, which must which is fair enough when your show isn't getting the recognition it deserves. Well, so. Peaky Blinders didn't get any nods either, did it? No. Yeah. Which it has in the past. So. Yeah. 
Right, that was the BAFTA TV nominations. Time for other news. Uh, and I was very, very excited this week to see a sudden press release drop into my inbox from the BBC announcing Series 2 of The Capture, which has been yes. renewed. Very mm. excited about this. I absolutely loved that show last year. <laughs> I absolutely devoured it. I thought it was magnificent. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see uh, this come back. Frankly, where they go with it, though, is anyone's guess. It kind of becomes a different show, I think, for Series 2. There's no other real way to mm. deal with this. Uh, so I guess it's what form that takes. But Holiday Granger was so good in this. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, think can't, it, I can't wait. It, it, you've got Holiday Granger's character, haven't you? And whatever happens to her, any, all kinds of things could happen to that character. Mm. Um, and so I think it feels like a there's loads of there's loads of possibilities. It reminds me a little bit. The ending of that series reminded me a little bit of Gangs of London. Actually, how they they both feel like they that's they're going to take a whole new turn <laughs> in their second season. Obviously, Gangs of London has not been confirmed yet for second season. Yeah. But if it isn't, then I'll be absolutely fucking furious. Yes, this Gangs of London and indeed Marcella, all shows that feel that they are yeah. chrysalis like metamorphosing yeah. into something yeah. very different. When is that coming back? I can't wait to see. Well, it's already to it's already to go. I mean, we you know we had into with the showrunner in in the in pilot TV like you know weeks and weeks ago. So I think it might be the case of ITV postponing it to the autumn because they need yeah. they need content that is ready to put out. Um, but yeah, it's all there. It's all ready to go. Excellent. James, I'm very surprised. When you said you're excited, I thought you were going to be talking about the Richard Schiff uh, Twitter. I don't believe it. Incident. I don't believe it. Well, he's, so, so he is trying to get the cast back together, right? For a, for a fundraising script reading. Oh, that bit. Yes. Okay, that yeah. I am excited. But he was he did another, at the interview, he also talked about, he'd been talking to Aaron Sorkin about a revival of the West Wing, uh, possibly taking place on a state level rather than at the White House and involving some of the cast. But again, this it feels like this conversation has been around for a while. So I think that's the part that I don't believe. I think that's maybe wishful thinking. Uh, I don't imagine a West Wing reboot is in the cast. But yes, a read-through, a charity read-through. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm 100% there for a, for a charity table read of the West Wing. And indeed, anything. I I'd be happy to listen to you and Boyd read the script for the West Wing. I mean, this anytime, is, James. This is my <laughs> okay. happy place. This Let's is just my say happy the place. word. Say the word. Do you get girls around to your flat and you're like, they're like, oh, are we going to bed now, James? And you're like, no, read this script. Yes. <laughs> Walk with me. Walk yeah. with me. Walk with me and read the teleplay from a proportional response. <laughs> Has, have walk and talks become a sexual fetish? That's the question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some impracticalities there, but uh, but sure, why yeah. not? I think that's an excellent idea oh love a bit of sorkin um yes that would be that would be very good but uh going back to kind of what boy was saying about about things moving forward and slates needing things to fill them it's worth noting that a lot of uk studios have begun to reopen so the wheels do seem to be moving on things i mean lots of lots of different uh procedures are in place mason studios has put perspex screens hand sanitizers their social distancing tape over they've reconfigured their office spaces uh so i guess people are trying to find a way to make this work not using boyd's uh boyd's uh, group isolation model which actually seemed eminently sensible to me but... Well, i think there's only actually a couple of productions actually back up and running as in shooting mm. um from what i've heard there's 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 a few and everyone else is trying to work out from the regulations and recommendations yeah. that have been published so, so the studios are reopening exactly they're work. opening their doors yes. it's just a question of who's going to be using them at this stage yeah, yeah. and how you know I, you can kind of see it making sense for if you are making something about uh, COVID and therefore all of the measures that are in place are all completely feasible but anything which is any kind of normal human drama obviously is is still up in the air with social distancing being 
a must. But the soaps are blazing the trail, aren't they? Because um, yeah. Emmerdale's already filming and EastEnders is starting, I think, next week, starting up next week again. I think they are going to re... They're almost going to do an EastEnders reboot, is, is what I understand, where they kind of dispense with the storylines, um, like kind of wind them down, so to speak, that will involve huge amounts of social, human interaction and they will do lockdown-based storylines reflecting the, the, what's actually going on at the moment. So I don't see any any other way around it. See, when you said that, I thought you meant they were going to reboot EastEnders, like EastEnders The Next <laughs> Generation, where it's an well, entirely new bunch I mean, of people moved to Albert Square. They've done that before. They had the E20 spin-off, I think they were. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah. That this, was rubbish. The, the EastEnders uh, universe, expanded extended universe, is a thing. E- I did not know that. Know. Yeah. See, I yeah. see. I I've not watched soaps in a very long time. I watched Neighbours. Surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could argue some of my sci-fi shows are kind of soaps, but I uh, I watched uh, I watched that back in there. Do you remember El Dorado? I remember yeah, when El Dorado, El Dorado started. I watched El Dorado, Funny and Fizz, uh, for an alarming amount of time before realizing Amazing. that I really could do better things with my time. Never got on with Home and Away. Love Neighbours. Never got on with Home and Away. Don't know. Oh why. yeah, no, I never got on with oh, Home and Away. Loved it. I mean, they were double bill, right? So it used to be yeah, Home and Away straight yeah, into Neighbours. Like home and Away either. Because yeah. yeah. was Home and Away obviously started with that foster home was the setup, wasn't it? Yeah. Didn't that that it broadened out beyond that quite quickly, didn't it? Or did it always maintain that? Well, it was Pippa, Pippa and Tom, I think they were called, with the parents in the big house in the centre of the bay. They owned the caravan park and they had all the foster kids. But it was very much about the community in the same way that Neighbours was essentially about all the lives on that street. It was about all the lives around Summer Bay. I actually, funny enough, I actually watched an episode of EastEnders this week because they did a quite a maverick episode involving the character of Ben, who's gone, who's gone, who's lost his hearing. Um, and, and it's quite a kind of a big storyline. They did this, I have to say, incredibly stylized, heightened, like it was all from his point of view with like he, the sound design was incredible, reflecting what he could and couldn't hear. And it was quite a violent and weird. Uh, it was it was quite incredible. So Eastend is still being absolutely maverick in this day and age. <laughs> Do you FYI. remember when we reviewed Legion? Uh, was it season two or season three of Legion? And, uh, and I watched the first episode without my headphones plugged in properly. And I thought it was like a really... <laughs> Yeah. stylized take on hit on this deaf character and it was i was like this is so bold the first 10 minutes of this show is entirely silent i'm like this is incredible that television is brilliant that and is brilliant it was entirely my fault yeah i had a similar experience i have to say this this i nearly said this earlier when you're talking about 13 reasons why i i clicked on i went on to netflix this morning to watch the new fourth season and I clicked on it and I wasn't really paying much attention. And it was playing out and I was like, this is a weird, this is a, I'm sure, A, I'm sure I've seen this, this before in 30 Reasons Why. And B, like, it just feels a weird, a weird, like, patronizing tone. And I suddenly snapped to attention and realized I was watching one of the factual kind of, if you have issues with this program, we'll help you out type, <laughs> type things that wasn't the new series at all. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'll actually need to watch the actual proper series. I, I still don't think you can beat, uh, you can beat Terry's when you watch the, uh, the Arabic show of the same yeah. name as that was it the, was it the Renny Zellweger thing Renny Zellweger yeah. brilliant <laughs> what yes. was that called what, what was that called oh what was that called oh, it's going to drive me mad uh, it was what if what if what oh, if. brilliant and you saw this Arabic show called what if and, and I remember that you started watching it and then you were like no no I'm not going to turn it off just because it's not in English this is clearly what we're supposed to watch and you watched it all the way through to the end regardless I did, and I didn't want to make any assumptions you. about you know um, we've done a lot of uh, foreign language stuff on here well bits and bobs so I just presumed but it was mad and there was lots of screaming and like murder in it and um it, it was it was very strange but I'm I'm not 
I'm not sad to have seen it. I feel like I've experienced something. Um, what else is happening? We should mention, yeah, we just announced as we as we start recording this that the new BBC Director General has been announced, who um, is a guy called Tim Davy, and um, I'm just going to quote um, Adam Sherwin on Twitter, who is a he writes about arts and media for the iPaper, and he he puts it puts it very well. Tim Davy is the new BBC DG. It will mark a big cultural shift. Tony Hall, the previous one, was an Oxford educated white middle aged male. Davey went to Cambridge. Oh. <laughs> um, and it is true that another posh, middle-aged white guy has got that job. And I think there will be. All I'm saying is it's early days, but I feel there will be all kinds of um, criticism of that decision. Considering that Charlotte Moore, who is basically in charge of um, content at the BBC, like BBC, the actual output, is, was a contender. And I've no idea why the fuck she didn't get the job. Yeah, I, but, that's what I heard. I heard it was yeah. hers to lose. Potentially. Yeah. Um, talking. Did you did you know? The, have you seen the Apple Apple TV Plus announced um, the launch of their new series, um, which is called Ted Lasso? Have you heard about this? I got the press release. With did you read it? <laughs> with no. Yeah, it's, it's with Jason Sudeikis, <laughs> and it's created by Bill Lawrence. But the the storyline, the premise of it, is almost exactly the same as the first team, which the football comedy reviewed last week. So it stars Jason Sudeikis as a small time college football coach from Kansas, hired to train a professional soccer team in England, despite having no ex- proper experience. So it's a, it's another comedy, a football based comedy about an American taking charge of a British football team. How weird is that? Uh oh. Yeah. You're going to love it. Odd. Mm. I think that's probably it for news. I should also mention Tom Ellis uh, has mentioned that he has uh, he has signed a renewal to potentially return for a season six of Lucifer. Now, season uh, five, I think, airs later this year of Lucifer. And I thought that was going to be the last one, but there may, in fact, be a sixth one after all. I only mention this because Lucifer is insanely popular. Mm. Like It's one of the most, most watched shows on, on Netflix. He's very good. But I mainly know Tom Ellis uh, because he, uh, he, he appeared on a Battlestar Galactica podcast with Trisha Helfer who appears in Lucifer as well to talk about Battlestar Galactica so I may not know him as Lucifer but I respect his opinions on Battlestar he's almost a celebrity friend of mine because um, I know his ex and he's an Arsenal fan and I used to see him at Arsenal quite a lot yeah, yeah. okay good so you, you you're friends man. friends with the yeah. devil that's yeah. excellent that is a weird, it's a huge show isn't it yeah it's bizarre I've just one more thing I wanted to mention because I think Terry will like this it's just that um E4 from Sunday the 14th of June at 9pm is going to be showing classic episodes of Big Brother every night. Ooh, yes. Um, yeah. See? Naked See? <laughs> See? So. What does that um, mean? It's really exciting. If you're at, so it's 20 years of Big Brother and to celebrate, uh, and Davina and Rylan will kind of um, host them, but they will show full ed- episodes. Oh my and God. It's quite exciting. Yeah. Who is she? Who is she? No, I don't know what you're doing. Jacuzzi. I don't know what's happening. Okay, I have many questions, and let's start with this. Is Big Brother still a thing? Is no. it still on, or is it no, finished? finished. It's yeah. not on. When did it finish? Uh, I would say maybe two years ago. Not Channel soon 5. enough. It, it, <laughs> so it ran for like eighteen odd yeah. years, on and off. I mean, it was on Channel Four, and it moved to um, Channel Five quite a while ago. And it's not enough that you watched it. Then you're now going to rewatch. Oh, I mean, moments. In- yeah, in its heyday, it was it was extraordinary and um, groundbreaking. Yeah. And you think, what was it, Boyd? Like, I'd probably say two thousand four ish, two thousand five, yeah. and yeah. you know, it was. It, I remember just obsessively going home from work, going going from work to the pub, 
having a couple of pints, racing home to get through to the live, to get back in time for the live eviction. You know, that whole Davina's introduction, them bringing them out, the interviews. It was like such a massive thing. The ratings were insane. I interviewed Nasty Nick <laughs> from season one when? of Big Brother. Why? On the, uh, absolutely true. On the red carpet of the Snatch premiere oh, in brilliant. Leicester Square, I was there to talk to Guy Ritchie and Brad Pitt. And uh, obviously he'd just been ejected from the house for being a bellend. And the sun had essentially sunk their claws into him. So they put a sun baseball cap on him. They got him to pose with Brad Pitt. And then they oh shoved God. him in front of reporters on the red carpet. So I had to speak to Nasty Nick, having no earthly idea who he was uh, or what Big Brother was. Uh, and yeah, I... Had a brief conversation with him. Yeah, okay, so here's a here's a Big Brother related question for you, Boyd. Like, I have always, I don't know why, in my head, I've always kind of thought of Big Brother as being the vanguard of reality television. Yeah. Like, did it? I mean, what was there before that? Was there reality TV before Big Brother, and what form did it take? Um, well, there was. I would say, yeah, there was doc. There were docu soaps mainly. Yeah, for sure. What um, about um, the one on the beach? But shipwrecked wasn't shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Before Big yeah, Brother. that was on E4. But there were loads of docu soaps, and there was the Real World on MTV. Oh, and MTV Cribs and stuff like that. Well, the Real World was the Cribs. Real is, Cribs is famous was... people showing you there, that, which is, by the way, been revived recently, um, thankfully. Um, but yeah, the Real World was group, gathering a group of people in a house and kind of. But it was more like it was very slick, and it was more like constructed, constructed a constructed thing. But Big Brother, I think, in mm. terms of f- watching people in a an enclosed situation 24 7 because you used to be able to watch it live streamed um as well and giving them tasks all of that it did big brother was definitely groundbreaking in all kinds of ways yeah for sure and by the way and pretty much the history of it because it started in 2000 um about six months after heat magazine started in 1999 so the history of big brother and heat magazine are very closely related and, and the biggest selling issue of heat magazine like seven hundred fifty thousand or something was big brother cover yeah Society and culture, time of death, the year 2000. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, 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 right. Okay, that was this week's news and, frankly, a lot of digressions as well. Uh, Let's move now on to this week's reviews. And first up, we have BBC One's I May Destroy You, which stars Michaela Cole as a young writer named Arabella who's trying to balance the deadlines of her editors uh, with her own social life in a show that appears at first glance to be about modern sexuality and London life, which, of course, it is, until the show takes a much darker turn towards the end of the first episode. Terry, what did you make of this one? So, first things first, I think Michaela Cole is pretty much a genius. Um, Obviously, she's most well-known for chewing gum, um, which I don't think we'd really seen anything like it. And she is an incredibly talented writer. She also um, stars in this, produces it. She directs some of the episode. Um, Sam Miller also uh, directs some of the others. He's done Luther and This Life. And this, we should say is actually partially based on an event from Michaela Cole's life, um, which she did talk about the Edinburgh International TV Festival um, a couple of years ago. So she shared that she was um, sexually assaulted when she was writing the second series of Chewing Gum. And this assault, and it's not a, a spoiler to say that there's an assault in this, this is pretty much kind of a, a, what the show's centred around to some extent. So in the first episode, um, it you becomes clear that she thinks she's been or she has been assaulted. So as you say, she's this millennial writer. It does this show does a really good job of kind of capturing 
millennial life in a city in London. So um, she's kind of become this hit writer, sort of accidentally. She wrote some tweets which led to a blog and which led to a book. The book is brilliantly called Chronicles of a Fed Up Millennial. So she's walking down the street and um, young women recognize her, ask her for selfies. She's clearly kind of becoming... Um, some kind of name and then during this all night uh, her, her publishing office um, as you say she's got agents kind of you know um, really keen she's on deadline for this next book she takes a break to meet a friend at a club and then you know you have her kind of coming back into consciousness the next morning and there's this clear gap now from the first episode alone you could be forgiven for thinking it's essentially the story of this assault and her finding out what happened, why it happened, and kind of putting all those details she's lost back together. And that is a strand of this, but actually it isn't just a show about assault. It's about friendship. It's about a broader issue of consent. So she's got these two close friends, um, Terry, Weriche, Opia, and a um, her friend who's an gay aerobics instructor called Kwame, who's played by Papa Asiedu. And these three characters between them really kind of explore modern um, sexual dynamics and politics. It's... I really, really like this because it isn't all black and white. It isn't just telling this one story, which to be clear, you know, there's no issues of consent around assault. Assault is assault. But there's things around threesomes, around um, casual hookups, using apps. You know, there's gray areas like what does it mean if you have sex with a guy and he takes off a condom during sex when you've already said that you want to use one? Uh are you still okay with the threesome you just had if the two men you hooked up with, it turns out they knew each other but didn't tell you? Like it really looks at these kind of very modern dilemmas around sex. But what's important is Arabella, who um, uh, Michaela Cole plays, she isn't just defined by what happened to her. Usually I feel like in, in traditional shows around sexual show. The story narrows and narrows until that's pretty much all it's about is this incident and kind of the trauma and consequences of that, which is obviously really, really important. But this feels like it, it it's telling a broader story. She's still this ambitious, bright, smart girl. It's got um, really great dark humor in it. You know, she's talking about PTSD with her therapist because she can't get any extension on her deadline, but her publishers have paid for her to have therapy. And she's talking about what she repeats to herself when it all gets mentally too much. And she's like, not everyone has a smartphone, not everyone has a smartphone. And it's a really kind of light, funny, it's got lovely levity in it. The sex scenes, I have to say, are unlike pretty much any sex scenes I can remember. It's not like normal people. We talked about kind of how natural that was and how romantic, mm. but also how real. This is is very unflinching in its depiction of sex. So there's a threesome that it shows in, in great detail. There's um, gay sex that it shows in probably the most detail I can remember on screen, certainly in, in the last few years. And I think it really benefits from that because you really feel like you are seeing a genuine exploration 
of what it is like to be a millennial navigating the kind of current sexual landscape. And it feels really realistic, really interesting. Um, lots of lovely kind of tonal shifts. Yeah, it always kind of comes back to this, this assault, which is clearly haunting her and it's how she's going to deal with it and how she can kind of get on with her quote unquote normal life with this thing still kind of in her mind that she's grappling with and she doesn't quite know what happened. I, I watched four. That was all that was available to us. I am desperate to watch the rest. I just think this is, this is great. And I don't think it, you'll have seen anything like it. I just don't. I was trying to think of things to compare it to when I was, I was coming up short. I think it's so interesting. Mm. I think it's so of the moment um and i don't think it takes any easy route there's no easy answers um i think it's i just think it's really 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 brilliant and all all credit to michaela cole who i think has has created something incredibly original it's really hard to compartmentalize isn't it i was trying to pigeonhole it all the way through the first episode and could not do it at all it does feel very bold and very well, you can't be very unique either it is or it isn't, but it does feel unique and it feels uh, it feels like something that isn't easy to pin down. Um, it's it's it, I mean the the main thing that I kind of related to from this is like when she's every her sitting down to write her book was every feature I've ever written for the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like and I'm sitting down and I'm going to go up and do something else and I'm going to walk around and I'm going to look over here and I'm going to do anything other than write. And uh, when she finally delivers the the sort of manuscript and her, her editor is kind of talking to her. And try Trying to be polite, like so. Was is is it finished? Is this what you meant to write? This reminded me a lot of you reading my Rise of Skywalker feature. You're like, are you sure you want to start with Midichlorians? <laughs> Absolutely certain. I'm not sure. Um, but yes, it's very very good, and she's she's extraordinary in it. Um, speaking of Star Wars, though, do you know Michaela Cole is in the Last yes. Jedi? Yes, yeah. of course. For you there, yes, she's a member of the Resistance in that. I interviewed her. I mean, this, uh, this is my name dropping. Obviously, you. you, you. I've interviewed a couple of times. I interviewed her just after that Star Wars came out. And she was so excited about that. She did like, you know, she just wanted to hang out on set for, for a couple of days to do this. And she got one line in that thing. And she was like, and she was like, she said that like members of family would yell out into the cinema when she arrived on screen because <laughs> it was so exciting. She is, I agree with Terry. She's, she's absolute cast iron genius. Mm. And it was, I, I had the same experience when I was watching it of trying, well, what is this like? What is it? it was reminding me of something. And I suddenly had the absolute revelation because Sam Miller, as you said, say directed this life he directed the very first episodes of this life and i think this is the this life of our time and there is no greater compliment from me because this life absolutely was the groundbreaking reflection drama that reflected a generation um that had the most incredible array ensemble of authentic characters it's its depiction of sex was groundbreaking at the time you know i think it's the new this life you know and i think she's you she's taken this instant that happened to her and i was there at the tv festival when she made this incredible speech talking about in the most unbelievable again like you never see anything like it to someone to, to to do the to do the kind of big speech at the festival which is all about creativity in the in industry to tell the story of her own sexual assault was absolutely incredible and then she's can taken that as a starting off point um to to weave a drama about a, a, a generation and about what young people are like now and i think it's so interesting she's so many like amazing ideas throughout as you say these first four episodes that we've seen about grinder about 
sex apps, about threesomes, as you say, about there's loads of threesomes in this series. It's really interesting. When we interviewed, I didn't do the interview for Pilot TV, but she talked about how there's a lot of consensual sex in it. She wanted there to be a lot of people who wanting to have a good time um, and consensual sex, as well as there being gradations, you know, of issues around sex and consent and the complexities of it. Not in, 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 the, in the main story, there's clearly she has been sexually assaulted. That is, that's what's happened. But then there are, there are you know, more complex ways into that, into that topic that she addresses. She talks about, you know, it's about social media. I love the fact that Kwame, brilliantly played by Pape Siedu, as you say, is trying to help her be her best mate and, like, you know, take her to the to report the crime and be supporting of her. And he is supportive of her, but equally he can't stop checking Grinder while he's sitting next to her mm. being supportive. And yet she somehow manages to make that non-judgmental. She somehow manages to make everyone in it being obsessed with Instagram and Instagramming in the middle of really important moments in their lives not a thing, not the traditional way of looking at that. And I think it's such a fresh, authentic, real approach to everything. The the dialogue, the way it's filmed in that very This Life documentary style that Sam Miller is brilliant at. I think it's absolutely fucking brilliant. And, you know, I can't wait, as you say, I can't wait to watch the rest. And she's also insisting, really interestingly, that it goes out twice a week and is not a box set. Yeah. Again, I'm saying, I'm, I'm not saying the whole thing is like this life, but I think I, it can't be a coincidence that when this life started, it also went out once or twice a week and we didn't back then in the back in the day have that experience. I think she wants it to be a communal experience of the show. We'll get people watching it week in, week out, and we'll get to see the stories unfold of all these characters. And I think she wants us to, to have that communal experience rather than binge on it all in one go. It is absolutely great, I think. Well, what else I really loved was you know uh, episode three when they go to Italy and it's her and Terry and they and they get separated and they both kind of meet different men and what's amazing is you're trying to navigate as the viewer oh are they the bad guys or is yeah. that a guy is that a nice guy and it really that's what struck me is really real because when you go out and you meet a guy a guy who's going to assault you doesn't wear a t-shirt saying yeah. I'm going to assault you the good guy you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys and she just lets these two kind of nights that the two women have unfold it's just not black and white like that it's not yeah. black and white where there's a big signpost saying this is a dangerous situation don't do it right and you've been in that you know situation a million times and I pro- probably all of my friends at some point have been worried they've been spiked or have woken up concerned about something that happened the night before. And the way she tells that story, and as you say, with no judgment really on anybody involved in it, taking the actual assault aside, of how these, how people connect, how you hook up, how these situations can become dangerous or can be not what you expect them to be, or can be actually the surprise can be that actually they're a really good guy. It's it's just so brilliantly and realistically um, done. I just, uh, yeah. I just think it's amazing. Yeah, like the guy who, who guy who the the condom incident, as you say, who takes the condom off. That guy is the sweetest, seemingly yeah. a perfect, sweet, nice, lovely, sophisticated, smart guy and that's so interesting it, it, you're right it's so clever how she's so confident the clear clarity of thought in this is incredible she's always had that and i think chewing gum was like chewing gum had that get along with these issues as well in, in a flat out comedy style yeah. didn't it? that was like balls to the wall 
quite vulgar, deliberately vulgar, colourful um, comedy, and she's doing and she's addressing the same stuff now, and in a totally different format, and a totally incredibly believable, realistic, authentic drama. It's it's it's. A, I think it's going to be a remarkable achievement. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's the shades of grey, isn't it? And I think you're you're right that in drama, whether it be TV or film, far too often there's a clear demarcation between the wrongens and rightens, and it's just life isn't like that. Like people who, for all intents and purposes, could seem like a lovely person can do horrific mm. things and it's not it's not as clear cut it's not as black as white and, that. and people don't unfortunately wear t-shirts saying they're rapists and also they don't know sometimes they're being yeah, they're doing they're horrific things the, the, no, the, and that's even yeah. worse isn't the it the threesome yeah. with the three men is such an as you say that incredible scene because I, I you know that they don't necessarily know it's like the, the guy doesn't necessarily know what's happened you know it's fascinating it's absolutely fascinating but that's in it. it's it's the it's the areas of sort of where one person's morality begins and another one's end and how these two things are not necessarily the same people's value chains are very different and often quite incompatible and navigating that is kind of all part of the human condition but i'm disappearing up my own ass now so <laughs> let's now move on how many episodes are this point how 12, many episodes are in the season um, two a week 12 episodes yeah monday tuesday night ten forty-five. i mean uh, you know, it has to be on quite late because, yeah. as, as we've said, it is extraordinarily yeah. the drug taking. I've never seen such explicit drug taking for a start. Episode one, as Boyd says, ten forty-five p.m. on BBC One, Monday the eighth of June. Uh, next up this week, we have Betty. This is a half-hour drama from HBO, taking a look at a group of young women skaters navigating the predominantly male world of skateboarding. The first episode of the show takes on the serious issue of a stolen backpack and access to an exclusive skate park as these young hip skaters grind the curbs of New York City. Now, of course, who better to take on this young hip skate fable than our very own hip street kid, Boyd Hilton? This is, I mean, I have to say the series is made for me. So I feel like, because, so this is Crystal Moselle who created the film Skate Kitchen in 2018, which was a a film about the world of um, female skaters in New York. And I love that film. And it was uh, just a fantastic kind of loose uh, portrayal of this group of people who are, so female skaters are often re- treated by their by their male equivalent in an incredibly sexist way. That's They're called Bettys and that's mm. where the title comes from. Um, and she's now, so now, two years later, she's created this six-episode series with all the same cast, the same core cast, Dee Lovelace, Moon Bear, Nina Moran, Johnny Russell, and Rochelle Finberg. And she's got to – these are mostly real skate girls who she befriended, she got to know. I think she was making – she was making an ad for someone – for like a fashion brand. And she met, saw these girls on the subway in New York and kind of thought, oh, these would be great, authentic young women for me to, you know, put into this into – this kind of advert basically she got to know them she befriended them she still talks they're now all friends now she kind of co-created this the film with them and now done this this tv series with them and it's created in a really interesting way she lets them they get involved in the storylining in the way their characters develop in the show again it's a little bit unlike anything i think ever seen on tv it has echoes of kids the larry clark film from the 90s which um mm, is a yeah, so. very famous depiction of the skate culture supreme my favorite uh, clothing brand um intimately involved <laughs> that that's the, the store opened the same year as kids started and i saw i saw the whole thing happen when i was in new york at that time so this is it's all there in 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 this 
that background is there in this show. But it's so it's a freewheeling, incredibly loose um, series where she's just kind of almost a very documentary style. She's a documentarian. She's she made that brilliant film, um, uh, The Wolf Pack, about the dudes, the family of dudes in their New York apartment who never left and created their own films to deal with life. Um, she's an incredible talent, and I think. Um, I love the looseness of it. You know, people will find it. I think a lot of people will find it very, a bit too plot light, perhaps. You know, like yeah. the whole storyline can just be, I've left my purse, I left my wallet in the park. That's it. That's the storyline, you know, of of one episode. But actually, as you watch the whole thing, and I've watched the whole series, all six episodes, um, there's a great Me Too storyline where one of the girls who makes videos, kind of YouTube videos with her mate, with this dude, and he is accused of a Me Too issue. And it's what I think it's one of the best um, uh, fictional storylines about that whole issue I've ever seen. It's so interesting. Um, so I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. It is loose. Loose is definitely the word for this. Like it's, it's interesting. The kids are fantastic. The performances are so sort of incredibly mm. naturalistic and, and, and authentic. And I do love, I love that documentary gliding camera work that she uses for this as well. But it's just letting these sort of girls be themselves. It's not really imposing expectations on them. It can't, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just letting them be in their environment. It's like a nature documentary looking at like youths. Mm. Um, and it's not a, about anything so much as just seeing who they are and letting them be but it's like it's it's interesting because it doesn't make a big deal out of issues of race or gender or sexuality it's all just accepted in a way that i think is very honest yeah. in that environment and in and among that demographic um and i think you know it also it does that really good job of portraying that mercurial nature that you often get in adolescence where everything is big and huge and important and they can be super loyal one second then incredibly self-absorbed the next like overwhelmingly selfish um and just very sort of unselfconscious about it all yeah i i really enjoyed it i couldn't like, I, like if someone like, said what's it about i would struggle to explain that because like, it's not really about anything but uh but yeah i thought it was a lovely slight of culture i actually think your comparison to the nature documentary is, is, is brilliant actually because it is yeah she's just it's just letting these people it's it's a subculture if you want to use that slightly yeah. crass word on on t on screen and letting the characters develop before your eyes and observing them as you say without again, without judging them, without fitting them into very rigid storylines. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. They need David Attenborough narrating. That's what they miss a trick there. Let's not go that far. Terry, what did you think? God, it made me feel old. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> old. But I thought, you know, it really, it what she captures so beautifully is what it feels like to be young, right? What it feels like to be free. There's a freedom. She really captures it. It's the way it's shot and the tone of it. It's, you know, there's, there's these shots where they're speeding through the city streets and you just feel those moments in your past when you had no real responsibilities and you were just free. And in that moment, as you said, there's, there's you know, things are a big deal for one minute and then you move on and, and it's not. And, and it's just moment to moment. It's kind of like a series of vignettes, really, I think. Um, mm. And that does take some getting used to because, you know, we watch a lot of really tightly plotted, paced, you know, dramas. And this feels like, it does feel like a documentary. It's really hard to remember that it is a scripted show. The rhythms, you you really feel the easy rhythms of teenage friendship. So in the first episode, 
um, you know, the two friends make friends with these other girls and you rem- you kind of remember how easily and smoothly you used to make friends mm-hmm. when you were young. You'd pick somebody up and within, you know, 20 minutes, it's like you've been friends for 20 years. I just think she's got such an amazing light touch as a filmmaker, which makes it just feel so real. Because like you say, it's just like you've been invited in to observe like an afternoon in their life or something. It's it's not like there's any overarching point other than to really capture these amazing girls and the relationships they have, the friendships they have. Um, and it is so immersive and intimate. Um, and it's you kind of just have to submit to it, I think. So if you are looking for something which propels you along and it's propulsive and you're going from A to B in terms of storyline, then I think you might struggle to get along with this. But if you just want to go and spend 30 minutes in the company of these really charming, lovely, funny girls um, and feel dead, dead fucking old in the meantime then <laughs> this is like it's a lovely <laughs> lovely show it's like a hangout series isn't it it's yeah. like it's yeah you're hanging yeah. out with them and yeah and there are lovely like the the way the relationship there's a relationship that develops slowly very slowly and steadily and it seems and it's really sweetly done and it's like it's there's a magic to creating to making that that as you say how young people are um and and showing that with such authenticity is really hard and it, this pulls it off so well it does indeed and betty starts on sky comedy on tuesday june the 9th at 9 35 p.m next up this week we have hillary nanette burstein's four-part documentary about hillary rodham clinton charting her life from student and activist to first lady secretary of state and presidential candidate Terry, I think I know the answer to this one, but are you with her? Well, yes, I am. But um, here's the thing about this one. It was interesting because I've been really, really looking forward to this. You know, it is, as you say, it's Nanette Bernstein, who's amazing, director New Girl, Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23. Um, And this is kind of um, two narrative threads. You have this archive footage, pictures, behind the scenes, clips, old interviews, which tell the story really of of Hillary's past, Hillary's life. So her childhood, her political and feminist awakening in college, you get marriage to Bill, um, and then right up to obviously the 2006 presidential campaign and eventual loss. And then the other key part, which is incredibly rare, is this sit down with Hillary herself um and you have these two things woven in together and and obviously between them what they're meant to give you is both the full story of her life but also kind of hillary reflecting on it and and adding context and and presumably you know looking at what's happened and seeing if she'd have done things differently and reflecting herself now the one there's a there's something which I, I I think I struggled with and I watched episode one which goes from her childhood through um to the seventies and it's that I didn't necessarily feel like I was learning loads of new stuff or I was hearing things I'd never heard before I was seeing parts of Hillary's character I didn't know so you know it's frustrating in some respects because you see the central problem with Hillary from a um, political point of view which is you really understand the power of of sexism right through to actually sheer misogyny where you know Mm. you're told there's loads of contradictory stuff and hypocrisy 
women don't be too emotional because people won't take you seriously obviously all the criticisms of Hillary have often been that she's too cold um and what you do get in the sit down is she's much kind of looser and um slightly freer than you'd expect her to be and then you've than we've seen her be on on TV before but she still feels to me quite guarded which I wouldn't be surprised about bearing in mind you know what she went through with the election and kind of the the abuse she still gets now um so she's still kind of a little bit defensive is a little bit guarded and that sit down interview which you hope is going to add all this brilliant color and and context and and kind of new information and maybe a little bit of intimacy around the more factual stuff you'll see in. I didn't, and just this is just episode one, I don't feel like it takes you there. And that slight remove that people talk about with Hillary, I think you still feel that. I certainly still felt that by the end of episode one. So I feel like it's super interesting. I love seeing that that old footage of her and Bill, and they interview Bill and it's clear he absolutely worships her um clearly he's done some bad things in their marriage but it's it's kind of interesting about their clear bond um which has been there you know for decades and is clearly still there but i don't know i didn't feel by the end of it that i had the intimacy and nearness that i was hoping for from this documentary and i don't know if that changes in in subsequent episodes and i am going to keep going with it because i think just just on the basic basis of her story she's had you know an incredibly interesting life and and her perspective on the 2006 election and what went wrong but I, I don't know. I'm still kind of, the jury's out still for me slightly. See, I really, really love this. And uh, I warmed to her enormously in a way that I have, I've never had anything against Hillary Clinton. I always admired her enormously, but I thought it was really interesting looking at her college years, her upbringing, the obstacles she faced, you know, her early years with Bill, how she didn't change her name when they got married and that cost him a governorship election. So she did, she made that sacrifice. She did change her name uh, and he won the governorship after that. And I think this documentary feels it's a much as much about her as it is about feminism and how america has kind of treated women over the past uh, past 50 years you know it's not it's partly quite a defense of her but it's it's an explanation mm, it of her but it looks at institutional almost culturally ingrained sexism in america as it was in the past when it was much more overt and has it exists now like you know one of the reasons she didn't get elected was as you say it was may not have been necessarily all outright misogyny but there's definitely underlying sexism there the way people were saying that they they couldn't stand the sound of her voice the female voice the way that she's seen as cold but if she'd been emotional she'd have been condemned mm. as hysterical you know this the double standard there was absolutely horrific and the interviews that she did on tv where she was told you know you don't don't fit the mold of what we would expect a first lady to be like you know sit there look pretty and shut up when she's talking about the like the first lady of arkansas in in the governor's mansion um and just some of the things she says when she talks about um you know when she's uh, at law school and she's saying a lot of the girls didn't want to make better grades than their boyfriends because they didn't want to make themselves unmarriageable by seeming too smart and it's just so tragic this whole idea of like keeping like one half of the human race in a box and not letting it out and not letting it do anything. Uh, and then obviously the tragedy of this un- election, how it unfolds. And I mean, admittedly with me, everything always comes back to the West Wing. Like <laughs> This is a fact. However, so much so, a very particular episode, Game On of the West Wing struck me here that there's a bit, there's an episode of the West Wing where Bartlett is is debating Governor Ritchie and he is a, uh, he's a Republican, he's a populist, he's, you know, not necessarily the sharpest tool in the box. But they're always saying to him, you need 10 word answers, you need a 10 word answer to the question because he 
electorate wants simple soundbite 10 word answers to questions and he's like you're killing politics you can't deal with a complex issue in 10 words what are the next 10 words what are the 10 words after that and i think this is what clinton exemplified for me like hillary doesn't give 10 word answers she's asked a question you know how are you going to deal with college debt and she gave a thoughtful in-depth policy-led answer, incredibly intelligent, incredibly practical, that could actually work. But that's not what people wanted to hear because that's not what wins your elections. And it's her campaign manager who says her biggest weakness was her greatest strength, that she knew policy inside and out and would give complex, detailed, thoughtful answers to simple questions. And that's not how you win elections. And it's just, it's so sad to me that that is true. Mm. Yet, And you look at her and you look at someone so intelligent and someone with a grasp on issues who understands how to run a country and then you see that she lost an elector to that fucking half-wit thug who doesn't understand anything and it's just it's just sorry indictment of us as a species but did you learn anyway, did you did you learn anything new cuz i read so i read shattered which was the new york times reporters wrote a book about it was the sub um, head was inside Hillary Clinton's doomed campaign, which is this massive, amazing book about it in huge detail what went wrong and all of that. And that, I suppose, mm. maybe I'm bringing my existing knowledge to it because I didn't feel like yeah. I learned a lot of of new stuff about either her or the campaign, new insight that you'd never kind mm. of been given. Because I agree with you on everything. I think it is a defense of her, essentially. I don't think it, it seeks to kind of interrogate her necessarily. It, it's very much kind of her, not her side of the story, but it's all told from her point of view. Um, but do you feel like it was telling you stuff either about her or about the campaign that you didn't no. I think it, I mean, I may not be as well read on the subject as you. So I, I think I, I learned things from, I do think it's definitely true that all of this has been picked over ad infinitum mm. before. So it maybe doesn't bring anything new in that regard. But I think even just coming out as it does now at this precise point in time in 2020, I think it actually does something different that when than in the aftermath of the election. Like looking now at the fury over those fucking emails seems so absurd, given what Trump has done since he's been in office and how normalised widespread rampant corruption has become. It's just insane. And watching her deal with these badgering questions from reporters about these emails. And yes, she dealt with it incredibly poorly, where she should have been much better for just being straight up, you know, almost just honest. Lay said, look, guys, absolutely. You know, it was possibly stupid, but my predecessor did it. I didn't really think about it. It wasn't illegal. There was nothing wrong with it. I didn't break any laws. Like, I don't know what you want from me, where she does get very defensive and very cold and hostile. And I get it because she's like, I'm trying to deal with the importance of, of, of the serious issues. And you're badgering me about fucking emails. And she just wants to tell them to forget God's sake, you know, grow up because you can't do that because it's politics. And the frustration really comes out. And I think in the perspective now, with time having passed, it's more powerful than it was. But I think you're right in that that it's not it's not groundbreaking in terms of the the sort of the the sort of great insights that it reveals. And the interview with her is perhaps less open than would have been ideal. I would like to have seen her with her guard completely down, mm. just completely laid bare. But that's not who she is. And and, no. and as you say, she has been through so much shit, whether it be Clinton's infidelity, whether it be all of the grief during the the election. Like She has been mauled by the press so much, and by the public, um, that you can understand why she's not going to lay her, her soul better. And, and by her I mean, husband. let's not forget, 
I'll tell you what I learned from this, from this, and I and I have to I have to admit that I I watched the first episode and I had to skip forward to very so I skipped forward to the moment where she's asked in the interview about Bill Clinton and mm. Monica Lewinsky and all that, and I skipped forward to the bit where she's asked about Bernie Sanders and then blah blah blah, and where she talks about Donald Trump. And I have to say what I learned from it, and I didn't learn much. I agree with Terry, you don't learn much if if you're if you're interested in American politics, which I, I am borderline obsessed with, <laughs> you don't learn much, but. What I did learn is that she's an even worse politician than I than I thought, and I think she's a, a genuinely terrible politician. And there are moments that seep out. There are moments where almost against her will, you get to know her. And that, so, for example, she does talk about how she's a much better kind of policy enabler and you know mm. policy wonk, and she's good at kind of sorting out solving problems in a micro level, at a micro level, yeah. you know, literally like she's the one, yeah, who can sort out how much it's going to cost to help college students a bit with their payment. You know, as you say, whereas Bernie Sanders, and I'm sorry, it's something to be ashamed of, wanted to make tuition free and wanted to let working class kids go to college. And the only way to do that is to make it free. And there's it, it, there's an interesting lack of politics to her and this documentary. It's all about, this is what I'm good at, I'm not good at that. It's it. What she doesn't, what she fails to, and then this is a critique of her rather than the the the, the thing, the the film and the document, the series. She can't understand that these Bernie Bernie Sanders supporters who you know invade her very slick presentation. She gets irritated, annoyed. <laughs> They're not there just to have a go at her for no reason. They're because they don't agree with her politics. You know, and her politics are very, very, I have to use the word centrist and middle brow and middle ground. And, and that's fine if you, you know, and she thinks she's, she's kind of conserved problems that way. But part of the reason she lost the election is because Donald Trump was a much better politician, was much more honest and blunt and open about all this stuff than she was. And she's still defensive. Even now, as you say, it's painful watching her being defensive about this stuff. She can't come to terms with her own flaws and her own... And it's all to do with her politics. I'm sorry, you can't separate the two. And it's re I found it infuriating and weirdly revelatory in little moments. There's a mo she has a walk and talk with one of her top advisors and they're slagging yeah, yeah, off yeah. Bernie supporters. And it's like, think about what those people believe in. For a mm. minute, just for a minute, rather than your own slick, you know, I, it's, I'm the best politician because I'm Hillary Clinton. I'm part of this Hillary. And, you know, it, 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 I find it her infuriating. I found this, the show fascinating, actually, but almost by accident. And the, by the way, she's much more angry about Bernie Sanders than Donald Trump. That's fascinating. She says, this is the show where she says, no one likes Donald, Bernie Sanders. You know, no one liked him. And I'm like, actually, that. That's a bit pathetic of you to say that. And, yeah, I, I agree. And so all of that is infuriating. And, but, and yet I think it's really interesting and, I, and I'll be watching the whole thing in full. But I think the interesting thing is when you say that about Donald Trump being a better politician, Donald Trump is an appalling politician. He's a great campaigner. And I think the difference with her is you totally believe she is someone who could handle the mechanics and the issues of running a, a country. You, but you absolutely realize she is not someone who can run for office because she's not a campaigner, that she doesn't have that skill. And it is a shame that that skill almost becomes more important than the act of being competent enough to run a country. No, I, but there's more to it than being, I, I don't mean, obviously I hate Donald Trump with a passion, but what I'm saying is why I think he's a better politician is he, he's more, honest about his supporters and why what they want and what they need the voters in Michigan all the states he won by what was it 80,000 votes you know he knew those people his 
his his communication with his people was more honest and politically wise than hers in a million years, and that's why she fucking lost. And it's a dis- but isn't the point there that what his communication with them was the opposite of what you just said? It was completely dishonest. He lied through his teeth. He just told them exactly what, what they, they wanted, wanted to, hear. to hear, with no intention of ever delivering any of it because he didn't give. Yeah, a we're going to reopen the mills. You're not going to reopen of the course. mills, are you? No, of course. Yeah, yeah, we're all going to reopen the coal mines. No, you're not going to do that either. You're just telling them that because that is what will make them vote for you. So his was the most dishonest campaign in history. You could argue that all politicians, to a certain extent, tell the electorate what they want to hear. But you hope that at least some of them in some way believe what it is they're saying. Like Bernie Sanders, I admire enormously. I think his platform was great. I agree with his politics. He is passionate. He is dedicated. He's empathetic. He's committed. And I think also he'd have made a great if possibly unelectable president. But yeah, Trump, the way he, it's everything that's bad about politics, isn't it? It's it's that uh, sure, disin- sure. disingenuous approach to, to trying to win people over. Well, to go, Bill, to go back to the, the <laughs> documentary, I think that um, if it doesn't, everything you think you think about her, it kind of confirms those things. Yeah. So that she's quite stubborn and that she's quite defensive and that she yeah. finds it hard to kind of truly shift her position on something or reconsider it and really believe that actually if she should have played it differently. Um, and so I think if you're looking to kind of discover a, a brand new part to her character or have a, a real shift in, have your assumptions challenged about who she is and how she conducts herself, I don't think it does that. That. And I think, you know, it, it won't always do that. But I think when you've got a subject who's who's kind of famous for being a little bit distanced and holding um, stuff back for whatever valid reason that might be, one of the things you'd look to something like this to do is to shed a light on those corners of her character. And I felt like it it didn't. If you want kind of a retread and a recap of all of those things that happened, I think it's interesting in terms of how she did lose it, how events kind of span out, just the sheer consequence of that fucking email server. And then you know, and the stuff you you see videos of her from the seventies, and as James said, all the kind of gender politics that were around then of her being the wife of of a governor, a man who she's clearly more intelligent than. Um, but yeah, I don't think you're going to come away rethinking what you thought you knew about Hillary. I think one of the things that makes this fascinating and almost hard to watch is regardless of whether you think she should have got the democratic nomination you can't help thinking you know that what would the world now be like had she won the election yeah of course what would be the world that we're living and just looking back at the car crash of the last few years and just thinking the all the sort of pain and death and misery we could have avoided i agree completely of course and what and 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 i agree with actually there are moments i mean there there are really interesting off-the-cuff moments and those are the best bits those those yeah all the footage surrounding the campaign is fascinating um mm. and it is but it is her defense and her kind of like her ref- it's i'm talking about what when the on the honesty thing just to explain it's more like he will donald trump will will not filter anything coming out of his fucking mouth and obviously it's 90 percent bullshit and lies but he would just say whatever the fuck is on his mind and that is the absolute diametric opposite of her where she you can see her carefully weighing mm. up what is the right way to answer this really difficult question about my husband's affairs, you know, and all that. And that's what's really irritating about her. And that's why I think she's a bad politician. And in this, I think particularly now, authenticity of thought mm. and expression is so important. And she is like, for me, is like the ultimate example of the career politician. You can't see that you have to be a bit real. You have to keep it real, to use that bland cliche. But it's the thing where you're right. Like they're, 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 You need to be feel like you're accessing the person. And I 
I think people always felt like they were accessing the stump speech with her, that everything yeah. was micro filtered. And just when she's talking about, you know, why did you delete your emails? And she just kind of sighs and oh, yeah. rolls her eyes. Terrible. And you almost wanted to say, if she'd literally just looked them in the eye and said, do you remember what happened when my husband had an affair? Are you in any way, in any doubt as to why I would want to remove my personal emails? Like, do you know what I mean? A little bit of honesty, a little bit of humanity yeah. might have gone a long way. But yeah. it is possible we have digressed from yeah. the reviewing of this documentary, yeah. which is on Sky Documentaries and drops on the 11th of June. It is a four-part documentary series and there's lots to talk about here, as you might have noticed. Finally this week is BBC One's The Salisbury Poisonings, which stars Rafe Spall, Anne-Marie, Duff, Miata Burring and Mark Addy, among others, and dramatises the poisonings in 2018 of Sergei and Yulia Skripal, who were exposed to the nerve agent Novichok during what is believed to be an assassination attempt by Russian intelligence. Boyd, what is your verdict on this one? I mean, what a week, by the way. I mean, uh, you know, this could be this could be like a five-hour-long <laughs> podcast, couldn't it? Because not only, uh, honestly, yeah. not only have we got like four or five really interesting shows that have so many issues surrounding all of them. There's so much to discuss of all these things. They're also, I think, really important kind of – this is a really – I thought this is a. I mean, I'm getting to the, to, to the crux of it. This is a brilliantly made reconstruction of a really a spectacularly bizarre incident. And I thought when this was first announced that the BBC was making a drama about the Salisbury poisonings, I thought it was going to be all about you know the Russians and you know how how they how the how the, how it happened, how the poisoning happened of the of this couple and the kind of political impact of it. And I thought it was going to be a whole kind of you know dramatization of that. But it's really it's more like um, a kind of docudrama almost meticulously showing you step by step right it goes dives right in at the beginning with the, with the couple sitting on the park bench in Salisbury and oh god they're horrible spewing up mm. and their reaction to the, having been poisoned by this this nerve agent and then with a very cleverly selected small group of characters who are all based on real people who are all dealing with this incident at the time from the police to the uh the expert on the on the um agent itself scientists um all these people members of the public are affected it meticulously shows you what happened step by step by step um and i thought it was just brilliantly done it just felt so real like i'm going to invoke chernobyl because chernobyl did this didn't it? it 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 dived right in showed you the incident in the very first episode and then spun off and showed you the aftermath and how it affected people in an incredibly meticulous believable real authentic way and i'm not saying this isn't this hasn't got um, I've only seen the first episode run on all three, but it doesn't feel like it's got as much necessarily to say because Chernobyl is also saying a lot about, you know, kind of the bureaucracy of the time and the Russian system and all of that. But in terms of the way it's made, the way it's filmed and the way it's acted and the way it's written, it is a, it is so brilliantly done. It's really interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, I I agree with Boyd and I think the, um, the directors, no, sorry, the writers of this um, who are... Adam Patterson and Declan Lorne, they um, have previously done documentaries. This is their first kind of major TV script together. And I think you can tell their previous work in this. I was reading that they went and lived in Salisbury for over a year while they were researching this, approached the people who'd been affected in real life and, and approached it as they would a documentary film and I think you can kind of see that and they said the research process was pretty much identical as if they'd been making a documentary on this for the BBC and it's that level of detail that does make it feel like it doesn't feel like your standard kind of drama um 
Rafe Spall's amazing. And I have to say, I love Mayanna Baring, who I loved in In the Dark, that crime drama on um, BBC. She's kind of unrecognisable in this as, as a um, mother and an addict um, who becomes poisoned herself. Um, and I think she's brilliant in this. So there's kind of real, there's real detail and real precision in this, which I think makes it really believable. But there's also proper kind of human drama and the stakes are quite high and there's a real humanity um at the heart of of how this is told as well so i really like this i thought it was great it really is it seems it seems i mean it is so recent it's 2018 that this happened so it's all very fresh in the memory and i suppose to a certain extent that's to the serious detriment because we all kind of know how this plays out uh and how it because it's very fresh in the memory but weirdly I think this dramatization works because knowing how it ends doesn't ruin your enjoyment of it. It's so well reenacted, it's so well acted, and it's such a compelling and frankly thoroughly bizarre and almost unbelievable story <laughs> uh, that it's 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 absolutely compelling viewing. I thought it was great, really great people in it. Um, yeah, this is this is really really good show. We should mention, sorry, Anne Marie Duff as the kind of person who she such as just a normal person whose job it is to tell people about chemicals and you know and 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 she's thrust into this spectacular moment in her life and that's so clever and she's so brilliant at playing this completely normal person um has to suddenly take charge of this situation effectively she's fantastic Mm. as well yeah it's it's just an interesting thing isn't it because the reason this is bizarre it's just like how brazen is it to attempt the assassination on british soil of a citizen using a chemical weapon like mm. not being funny yeah. they've got to be less convoluted and dangerous ways to kill someone and not least of all this one didn't work but uh, i mean it, it's quite an extraordinary thing so the unraveling of just all the pieces of this uh yeah absolutely fascinating very very good show the salisbury poisonings uh which starts on bbc one on sunday the 14th of june at 9pm. Now, we have just talked at length about four very detailed, very complicated shows, but that is not all that is out this week. There's an awful lot going on as well. Boyd, what have we missed this week and why? Well, well I've watched There's a big drama, one-off drama slash made-for-TV film, and we don't generally do films, made-for-TV films that feature one-off length. TV one-offs. drama, yeah, not there's films. A whole big, yeah. yeah, a whole big re- reasons for that. But I have watched um, this this drama sitting in limbo it's on tonight if you're listening to this on monday on bbc one at 8 30 it's it's a it's a it's an incredible incredibly important um film and it's about it's based on the true story of a man called anthony bryan who lived and worked in britain for 50 years when he was suddenly detained and and was intended to be deported and his own brother has now written this the script for this drama um and um it's absolutely fascinating it's horrific it is the windrush scandal it's it's a kind of so it's taking one example one case one true case in the windrush scandal and forensically telling you exploring in a very human um way what happened to one man and it's horrific and it's like almost like a kafkaesque nightmare he so he's played by um patrick robinson who's great and it, you follow his his first letter informing him that suddenly, you know, out of the blue, because the because the government's decided they're going to be cracked down on people with who shouldn't allegedly, apparently, should not be in the country, but actually they totally should be. They have every right to live in this country, and they suddenly, as I said, decades of being here and having a family and living here and and contributing, by the way, to society. He's suddenly told he has to come up with evidence 
of his parents arriving in this country in the 60s, like documents, four documents for every year that they were here, like honestly insane bureaucracy. And he, and, and they depict the meetings he has to go through and then the, the police knocking on his door one morning and taking him into custody, taking him to a faraway, um, you know, immigration place. And it's all about that hostile environment, that horrific phrase that was used by the government to get to, 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 um, to basically get rid of people that they felt shouldn't have been here and they, and they had every right to be here. So it's incredibly important. It might even be one of the most important of all these shows we review today. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's brilliantly done, I have to say. Yeah, I watched that as well. And, and I agree with Boyd. Amazing performances. But yeah, the, the real story is just kind of, it's devastating, really, um, and really kind of gives a human voice to all of these awful statistics we've read. You know, I think the government themselves said 160 people were either wrongly detained or completely deported. Um, and there is a, a great BBC documentary um, that is being aired five days after this drama as well. So um, I'd recommend watching both of those. I should say it's written by Stephen S. Thompson, is the guy who wrote it, who's a novelist, and as I say, brother of, of one of the people who was, really was um, uh, affected by the scandal. Yeah, sitting in limbo. So that's tonight, uh, eight thirty yeah. p.m. on BBC One. Uh, also out this week, there's a a Polish Harlan Coben adaptation, isn't that Boyd? The Woods. Yes, which we couldn't review because it is embargoed. It's embargoed. That's embargoed for review until the date comes. That comes on next Friday. But all Harlan Coben fans will want to see it. Indeed. Uh, what we do in the shadows returns to BBC Two on Thursday at ten PM. Very much like season one of that. Very very funny indeed. Anything else, or is that broadly? <laughs> is that it? He says, I as if we haven't discovered I mean, half of the schedule. Um, right. Okay. Das Boot that, season two. Some people swear oh by Das Boot. Yeah, that starts oh, on Tuesday on Sky boot. Atlantic. People love it, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. <laughs> so depressing. <laughs> and Agatha right, Raisin, if you like, Agatha Raisin starts on Sky One, now TV on Wednesday as well. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a very enjoyable show and with Ashley Jensen. So, yeah. There's loads. Okay, so it's going to be a busy week, is what we're telling you. Uh, but before we bid you farewell for this week's show, we do have time for a quick Banshee. The Banshee segment, of course, named after uh, Jonathan Tropper's show, Banshee, which was the first old show we recommended on this podcast. Who would like to go first? Terry. Um, so I'm going to um, Banshee something that was actually recommended to me by a listener this week. Um, so it was Fuzzy Dunlop on Twitter. Um, who <laughs> Somebody was uh, tweeting me about Line of Duty and Fuzzy... Um, uh, recommended the bureau which i'd not heard of or seen i hunted it down it's on amazon prime video i've only watched the first episode i'm going to be watching all of the first season we'll keep you posted but it's essentially about the french um security service it aired in france in 2015 came to amazon prime video the year after and it focuses on this intelligence officer um, who's been undercover in Syria for six years, is suddenly recalled to his home in Paris. Um, and it's very much kind of about his um, this uh, shadowy professional life and this very, very complicated personal life he's got on that is paced incredibly. Uh, the performances are great, super intense, um, probably going to give me a heart attack at some point. Um, so I am very much enjoying that. And thank you to Fuzzy for recommending the Bureau to me. And if anybody would like to watch it with me, please do. And we can talk about it on social media. Fuzzy Dunlop, of course, being the fictional CI in The Wire. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, not actually the real Fuzzy Dunlop. Yes, it's the real Fuzzy Dunlop. He's come out of hiding finally, and he's talking to Terry about TV shows. This makes I think the bureau, sense. the bureau was also whenever I hear the bureau, it was the name of the spoof um, docu soap on the day to day. Oh God! Do you remember in about a bureau de change about life in a bureau de change? It was hilarious. Um, I've gone for. I've gone for. Um, I'm doing a mini a mini series of um, banshees about Channel Four comedies you may not have seen, and this week's one is Campus. I don't know if you remember this one. It's from the creators of Greenwing and Victoria Pyle, the creator of Greenwing. And you know how James goes on about he never knew whether Greenwing was a comedy or not. Well, wait till you see Campus. So I've been waiting, and, it, and it's because you said that. And, I, and as soon as you said, that, I must do Campus as a, as a banshee. And now I remember this week to do it. And it basically it was Victoria Pyle's follow-up series to Green Wing. It only lasted for one series that went out in 2011. And it was a an hour-long format, and it was a very bizarre depiction of a British university campus with professors and students. And it was even more – it was wildly – Bizarre and inventive. It had a brilliant cast. Andy Nyman was the main was the was the main lead role. Sarah Pascoe, Dolly Wells was in it. Jonathan Bailey, Catherine Ryan was in it, um, acting properly. And it was very stylized. Had incredibly funny moments. Um, had some quite weird, interesting uh, observations of, of of what happens in university campuses with students and lecturers. It was great. And it's it it sadly it's not on all four. But it is on DVD for about two quid, like James's things always are. Um, mm-hmm. So I, if you want to order it on DVD, I would encourage you to do it. It was really interesting. Campus. Okay. Well, I'm taking a, a, a trend from Hillary that we watched this week, and I want to banshee political animals. Don't know if you saw this. It was a miniseries with Sigourney mm. Weaver, who played a, um, a character, frankly, very, very heavily modelled on Hillary Clinton. She plays Elaine Barish. Uh, she's a Secretary of State who had been a First Lady to a, shall we say, um, uh, to a president who'd had a number of extramarital affairs, and then she runs for for president. She doesn't get the nomination, but she ends up as Secretary of State, and this deals with her in that office. Uh, obviously, great people. It's got Kieran Hines is in this, Carla Gugino is in this, but Scorny Weaver, as you might imagine, is amazing. This is slightly soapy at times, but it does a really good job of dealing with kind of the crash of professional responsibility in politics and personal life, and how those two things intersect, and how it's hard to kind of uh, walk the line between them. I like this. It was only a mini series it did only run for six episodes there was a hope i think that it would lead into a proper season a proper picked up series afterwards but it never actually happened uh but i enjoyed it a lot and i mean it's got sigourney weaver in it what's not to love uh a lot of fun to be had there that is political animals and it's available i think as a single those six episodes on a single miniseries box set you can get it on dvd for peanuts for peanuts was Vanessa Redgrave in your one, James? By the way, wasn't she in, in it? Political Animals? I believe yeah. she was. Yeah, I think yes. she had a brilliant I... role in it. As yeah, she was. Uh, uh, oh, here we are. She was the first openly gay Supreme Court justice yes. and a personal That's right. friend yeah. of Scotty Weaver. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, it was very good. Very good. Crack on. And that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. If you are one of the people not offended by swearing and thus still with us after last week's show, then why not leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a four-letter comment on social media at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. We'll be back next week when, I believe, Catherine the Great returns to this podcast, this time with Elle Fanning wearing the crown in Stars Plays The Great, and the third season of The Sinner. Finally! arrives on these shores so be sure to keep an eye out for that one until then though pilot out